left, right. Hey, if you're watching this, thank you so much. It means a lot to me that you guys are even tuning in. We've actually really picked up production. We're doing two sip talks a week, which I enjoy, but we're also doing it because of you guys. And I appreciate you all watching, liking, and subscribing. Got a small audience right now, but it is growing. If there's something you'd like to hear about, let me know in the comments. Um, any ideas you have for future episodes, let me know in the comments, shoot me a DM, shoot me a text, shoot me an email. All my information is below. But most importantly, if you're watching this, please, please, please like this video, subscribe, share it. At least one of the three couldn't hurt and it would mean a lot to me. So thank you very much. This is Sip Talk. Grab a drink and enjoy. Cheers. 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 And uh, we are, what do you got to drink over there? So I'm going with um, a refrigerated Milwaukee's Best Ice this time, but with a uh, cool nice on it? Yeah. I got this for my time in bartending. I only have one koozie, and I really like this one. I'd rather be drinking than being. So you're drinking the Beast. I'm going to pour some scotch. Um, that, as you got ready, I waited a long time for, I guess, this ice cube to thaw out. Actually, I got another one, too. No, I've got um, those, uh, the spherical ice cubes. How are and they? I, I've got two of those, and depending on how quickly this beer goes, maybe I'll switch to uh, the bourbon and an ice ball. A bad idea. I like the round ice. I like the square ice. You know, you, you saw at home, I have uh, a giant block of ice. It's like two feet by, uh, by about 10, maybe 12 inches. Yeah, and the I ice bag. Uh, I'm waiting for that, for that I've ice I've got the, the molds for like the big cubes of ice too, for the big square cubes. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I just like being able to play around with ice, but I do like kind of the free form ice that you can get right out of the block. Um, I'm gonna pour some, uh, some scotch up. But yeah, that's what I want to learn how to do is I want to I want to learn how to make the perfectly clear ice, which is it, it can be tough to do because you got to do like directional freezing on it. I don't. Yeah, we know where to start. So look, let's uh, let's get into it because after our last podcast last Thursday, I actually went home and I watched this uh, Olympic Olympic uh, video about these Olympic athletes that were committed suicide, and I'll just. Uh, I'm just going to share with you my my perspective on this because it was really a sob story that somebody was writing a book and you know kind of the nail in the coffin was that uh, uh one of his friends from the olympics committed suicide and he's like all right this is it it's obviously it's an epidemic this is happening lots of olympic athletes commit suicide and uh i ran the numbers i don't have them down in front of me i wrote them on uh, one of these yellow notepads i left it on the dining table i meant to, meant to grab it but what I did was I took the uh, suicide population, suicide rate in the regular population, and uh, then I took the suicide rate in the Olympic population, and out of the regular population per thousand, there's a much higher instance of suicides than there are in the Olympic population per thousand. So actually, Olympians are less likely to commit suicide. Based, based off these statistics. But that doesn't make as good of a story. But it doesn't make as good of a story, but again, 
that's why I was so frustrated with this issue about the Olympic athletes supposedly having such a high suicide rate because of the stress that they're under. And you know, I know you want to talk about negotiating, negotiating techniques, but when it comes to negotiating excellence, if you want to be excellent, and by excellent, I mean within the 1%, truly kind of pinnacle at whatever it is that you're doing, being excellent involves a certain amount of sacrifice amongst other, other, other areas. Well, a lot of other areas. Yeah. I mean, if you're typically, if you want to be uber rich and excellent with work or something like that, you're sacrificing a lot of socializing time. You're sacrificing family time. You know, if you want to be an elite uh, athlete or an in, if you want to be in elite physical, excellent physical condition, you're sacrificing when it comes to diet. You're not eating fucking cake and fucking candy bars. You know, you're, you're probably not eating a lot of regular food. Well, and also you're sacrificing a ton of time because if you want to be in elite athletic shape in whatever discipline it is, it really, you got to be putting in probably 10 to 15 hours a week at least into yeah. whatever that is. 10 to 15 hours a week is not a, a, a lot of time, especially, you know, if, if you're driven by excellence. But what I'm, I'm saying, saying that's the bare minimum. If you want to be elite, it's probably more like a full-time job. I would, I would say so. I, you, when I, when I watch documentaries about people who are excellent, you, they're like, you wouldn't believe it, but he also had to work a part-time job doing this, this, or that. Well, you know, his full-time job was being excellent. Then That's, you know, obviously he's sacrificing a different full-time job. And with the, you know, the Olympic suicides and, the, and just talking about the amount of stress, I think that's kind of what you sign up for. You know, unless it's like an over-parenting type issue where, you know, well, your father just, exists. You, well, yeah, well, exactly. Or your father just keeps you out in the backyard with the doors locked to shoot fucking uh, free throws. Like that's a that's a bit different. You know, you're kind of forced into the stress, and then you know, a lot of people rebel. And I I don't know. That wasn't what happened to me. Uh, the door was wide open for us to go in and play video games and not be stuck outside. Much time as we did spend outside. But yeah, that was just, you know, my negotiating excellence when it comes to negotiating, you're making a sacrifice. And that's, I, I don't think that's, you know, widening anybody's eyes when they say, you know, Olympic athletes sacrifice a lot. Oh, shit. Yeah, uh, I just think that um, your initial characterization of it, of these Olympic athletes, athletes being too mentally weak to handle a defeat at the Olympics or whatever causing suicide, I think that uh, that judgment I think you should re revisit that. And that was erroneous. Where you think I was too harsh, where I said somebody comes in fourth place or somebody gets a bronze, and uh, you know, and now they they feel hurt. Yeah, I think that was a bit too much. I I will accept I will accept your argument there, and uh, yeah, I yeah, but committing suicide because you came in second place. I don't know. I, I think that there's going to be significant underlying issues and that that's not going to be the proximate cause. Oh, God. Um, but you want to talk about negotiating because I'm, I'm curious where you want to take this because obviously I negotiate all day long and I watch people negotiate all, all day long, which I believe gives me an upper hand when it comes to actually negotiating because I understand how people negotiate. And I watch a lot of people fail to be successful because of the way they well, that's why I wanted to bring it up as a topic is because you're coming at it from a different angle than I am, but it's something that 
I put a lot of practice into and I, I've gotten pretty good at. But I'm I'm kind of on the other side of the table from you in terms of negotiating a lot of times. But what where, side of the table are you on? Well, I'm usually going to be either the employee or the advocate, who the, the consumer, whereas you're the business. Now, sometimes you're doing it the other way where you're trying to negotiate a, a lower rent with a landlord or something to get a deal through. So you, you're kind of playing both sides, but very rarely am I am I on the side where I'm the one having to kind of give something up to get to where it's, I want to go. That's, I'm trying to get the other side to give something up. That's funny that you mention it like that. I didn't think about playing both sides of the negotiation, but actually, now that I think about it, I am a terrible negotiator when it comes to me negotiating for myself on the consumer end. Um, and I think probably because I can relate so tightly to the rationale of the salesperson. When I, when I bought my last bike, I, I paid sticker price. Like, I'm like, is there anything free I can get? And he's like, well, no, you know, we can give you a discount to buy some stuff. Like, wait, so now I got to spend more money. Wait, I'm already yeah. in this negotiation. Yeah. Wait, so me to try to get a deal on something yeah, actually was going to end up for me. And I was like, nah, that's fine. Here's a card. Just you gotta, yeah. I'll take what I can get. Um, well, yeah. But, so but, back when I was bartending. Um, what are you negotiating as a bartender? No, let me just tell the story. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. So back when I was bartending, um, I would start my shift between 3.30 and 4.00. And I would have CNBC on because I'd like to see what the stock news was for the day to see how terrible my portfolio was doing. And I would just leave that TV on CNBC near the bar. And so then it would get busier in the evening. I'd forget about it. And later on in the evening, Shark Tank would come on. Okay. And it was actually a great show to have on at the bar because it, we'd have the subtitles on so you could follow what they were talking about. But you have a good mix of some people that have really good business ideas and some people that have just terrible ideas. But it always gets a conversation start at the bar because if things get slow, you can just point to the TV and be like, hey, man, you think that this person is ever going to be able to get a million dollars for this idea? And then you can watch. And one of the things that you see in Shark Tank is negotiations. And you see both good and bad. Okay, and, fair enough. Yeah, I would say there's a lot of negotiating. <clears throat> that's basically what the entire show is when it comes down to it is here's my idea. I think it's worth this. You're going to want to pay less than that. I need to convince you to pay me what I say it's worth. And so I saw a couple people on there break some very cardinal rules, but basically I've got a few rules that if you go into a negotiation with these in mind, you're going to do a lot better than if you hadn't thought about it ahead of time. Okay. So, so, so I wrote these down. I'm gonna, let me just hit the bullet points and then we can talk about them one by one. Uh, uh, how many are there? five or six five or six bullet points of negotiation from which perspective or either either all right so the first one is no more than the party that you're negotiating with do your research and understand the topic okay i agree number two negotiate from strength there's a difference between negotiating versus begging you have to have something that you're bringing to the table that the other party wants Are these, is this still the second one no, this, yeah, this is, this is point two. All right. All right. Point. So negotiate, don't beg. Right. Three, uh, point three, have three numbers in your head. Have, and have these established before you go into the negotiation. What okay. you're going, what you're going to lead out with your number. What's your, what's your lead out? 
what's what you actually want and what's the number below which you walk away you're walking okay um next one don't negotiate with yourself Ooh, i like that one so far the best next one identify what the other party wants and what their options are this kind of ties into the research thing but you've got to be able to look at what's going on on the other party's side to understand what they're really looking for so that you can match your tactics to meet that. And then the last one is just that two more. Don't negotiate in bad faith and use silence to your advantage. Okay. Um, I like, uh, I like the three number. Okay. So, so just to sum this up, well, not even to sum it, touch a little bit more on it. Um, when it comes to negotiating, the first, the first one that you gave me was the first negotiating tactic that I came up with that I thought about when we started talking about negotiating and that's no more than the other party or no, mm -hmm. no, as much as possible. Yes. You may not know more than the other party, but you need to come to a negotiation educated. Mm -hmm. And I, I tell all of my clients when they come to the table, they want to negotiate, especially when it comes to broker fees, what their other options are. And I basically want, I want to make sure that they know what their other options are as well. But it's important for me to know what they believe their other options are, which I think, you know, kind of helps me when I'm formulating my angle of the negotiation on my end, I know what their expectation is from me and from the market. If they think they have a thousand other options, then I need to start whittling away at their other options. And if I realize I can't compete, then I'm going to bow out, but I'm not going to try to try to fight for something. I'm not, I'm not going to be able to get, um, when, you know, when it comes to buying a car, I, I think in, in New York, almost everything's negotiable. Uh, I've been into a lot of bodegas and, and stores like that, where, you know, if you pay in cash, they'll cut you a deal. I negotiate uh, a lot of days on my lunch, you know, when I, when I buy a shake, uh, something like that, I'll negotiate on. When I was new to the city, I used to negotiate with the heart, hot dog guys who wanted to sell me a Gatorade for three bucks. Most of the time, I could get it for a buck. Uh, I'd be like, oh, I only have a buck on me. Never mind, I'll find another guy. And they'd be like, no, 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 no. How yeah, much? Because their cost on the Gatorade's 50 cents. They're still making money. They're probably less than 50 cents. Exactly. With the sodas, are, you know, they're paying 20 cents a soda. So, um, so I, I like that no, no really as much as possible when you're coming to the table to negotiate. Um, you may not know that if you know more than the other party, but knowing as much as possible is, is definitely important. And the important thing is don't lay out all the information that you have all at once. It's you trickle out the information that you have as needed to meet the objections of the other party. Yeah, I, I, so I'll, I'll give kind of a real life example and, and kind of walk you through it. I, I show somebody four or five apartments or even an agent that shows somebody four or five apartments. They decide they like an apartment, they wanna come back and apply. Before I hit them with the broker fee, because the disclosures up here say that we typically charge 15%, but we're, we are negotiable. And of course we are. We get 15% on a lot, of, a lot of deals, although we actually, most of the time we're giving a, getting a 15% of the annual rent. So mm -hmm. if it's a $2,000 apartment, the annual rent is 24,000. 
we're collecting 3,600. That's only worth it if the apartment's a very good value at $2,000 a month. So if I know there's lots of other, two, I mean, 2,000 is like impossible apartment to find below Harlem, first of all. So if it's, if it's an apartment that's in Midtown or Downtown or Upper East or Upper West, I'm probably getting 15% or close to that. I know that because I know right off the bat that there's not a lot of other options. So if I'm going to hit that person with 15%, somewhere along the lines of the showing, somewhere along the showing, I'm going to find out what else they're looking at. And if they're telling me they're looking at a whole bunch of other apartments, especially they tell me they're looking at no fee apartments, I'm, you know, I'm going to try to show them some no fee apartments. Uh, or I'm going to figure out what they're looking at that isn't really an option. This one is 80 blocks out of the area they want to be in, or this one is a six story walk up. I'm going to do my research on the other options that they have. Um, and you know, yeah. and then if, if I've done that through the building of rapport, I've done that through the showing, I've done that through my time with them and that 15% hits the table and they give me pushback on what I'm asking for. I'm then going to hit them with what are your other options? And if that person knows they have other options, right? You know, we're, well, I'm, I'm probably going to negotiate down, especially if they hit me with options that I wasn't prepared for. Yeah. But I want, I want to at least be able to provide them those options also while they're with me. Well, and that also, that also goes to show that depending on how much work and research the person trying to buy an apartment from you has done, that increases their negotiating leverage with you. Yeah, as much research as they've done. However, what I find most of the time is people come to the table and they think they have 86 options because when they do a search on Street Easy or Zillow or wherever, they think there's 85 other options. And what I need, to, you know, what I need to do at that point, shit, what I need to do at that point what is you do? I just knocked over some stainless steel coffee cups and they just came crashing down. Could have been worse. <laughs> Could have been glassware. Um, that would have been tragic, but, uh, you know, I'll look at their other options. I say, well, let me know what else you have. I want to make sure I'm giving you a good deal. Obviously my bottom when it comes to broker fee is zero, but I also know that we have to run a business. So we have somebody offering us half a month of rent. I'm going to let that person walk because you know, I'm not, I'm not going to do that deal. And they signed it on that apartment with me. So if they choose to rent that apartment. It's going for me. There's lots of other options they can find. And, uh, you know, I, I offered them, I offered them a better deal. I offered them a student discount and the land. And now we're getting to the point where the landlord's offering to pay some money too. But, um, you know, I, and we've given them 12 other options and, and that's out of, that's out of the 40 or so options that we were originally looking at. So, so, but I just think when it comes to negotiating, you just can't walk in not knowing anything. Right. And like, a very quick one for me is back when I was working in hotels, um, after my first year there, they, like I had my meeting with uh, the manager of the hotel and they were talking about a raise and she offered me a raise and I said, that, all right, that's too low. She said, well, that's our standard raise. And I said, yeah, but that's not what the market's paying. And she says, are you sure about that? And I had actually, like, I had been doing, I, every, every night, night auditors will call around to other hotels to see what the rates and occupancy are of other hotels in the same market. So yeah. I was in a luxury hotel. So every night I would call six or seven other hotels and just say, hey, we were at 90% last night at 475. What were you guys? And they would tell me. 
four seventy five a night for a Charleston hotel. Oh, dude. Um, yeah, when I was working at Wentworth Mansion, it was usually our our average rate was like four eighty to four ninety a night across the whole the whole hotel. Holy shit! How big are these rooms? Because I know New York City rooms are like they're like studio apartments. They're really small. Average size of the rooms was like five hundred to six hundred square feet. Shit, man, that's that's like an apartment here. That's not yeah. bad. It was it was a nice hotel. Um, I liked working there. But what what I had been doing is by making these call runs every single night, I'm building relationships with other night auditors, mm-hmm. some of whom I'm still friends with today. And when when it was coming time for my annual meeting with the manager beforehand, I had been talking to the other night auditors. I had said, hey, just out of out of curiosity, how long you've been there, and about how much are you making? And they tell me because what, what do they care? And when when my manager came back with her offer, I said, "That's not what the market's paying. This is what the market is." And she said, "All right, I'll do some call arounds and I'll see." And instead of giving me the raise that she wanted to, she gave me a raise that was about three times higher. No, that's not bad. But there you go. That's that's negotiating a pay increase. Um, I I get people trying to negotiate a pay increase right off the bat. Like they they uh, they come in and they want a higher commission. And really, I just think that's them undervaluing the platform that we've set up for them to do deals because they don't understand that, you know, they're, that it costs money to do this, but also they're overvaluing, they're overvaluing themselves. And I say that because they don't understand my perception of their value. When they haven't closed any deals or they've closed one or two deals, I even tell people when I when I hire them they don't like the commission splits. I'm like, all right, so here's what our numbers need to look like at the 12 month point. If you're on par for that two or three months in, let's talk again. But until you're on par for that, I can't pay you what that person's getting. It's it's not fair to that person. Right, but let's say you had somebody who let's say you had an agent come from a different brokerage, and they actually had a track record where. They said, here's what I was able to do with this other brokerage. For whatever reason, I'm leaving there. I want to join your team. But, and they can verify in some way. Okay, so here, here's how my negotiation, here's how my negotiation would start. You know, we offer all new agents 50% and in 12 months, we'll reevaluate you. And they say, well, you know, and I'll gauge their body language. If they're like, oh, okay, cool. That sounds good to me. I'm like, okay, great. Let's sign. And they're like, well, I'm not sure. I'm like, well, what's the holdup? Now, if I gave their body language, I can tell like they're not cool about it. I'll, I'll say, yeah, I'm sure you're expecting more. What if we reevaluate at six months? And what I would say is if I'm that agent, I'd say, look, at my old brokerage, I was getting 65. Sure, so, but now we're negotiating. Now we're actively negotiating. And I'm not going to start at what they're getting. Right, but I'm going to say I was starting at 65. I wasn't happy there. I want to join your team. Instead of the 50 that you're offering, look, I've got a track record here. I can give you the numbers if you want. I'm, I'm, I'm not asking for 65 because that's what I was getting before. Let's call it 60. Okay, great. But guess what? If And I see this happen all the fucking time. So you're like, I'm getting 65 over there. And I go, not a problem. And then you go, well, I was getting 65 over there. I really like you guys, but I need to be incentivized. I need 70. That's why I can't start. That's why I can't start at 65. Right, but what I'm what I'm saying is you're you're starting at fifty, and I'm trying to not I'm not trying to negotiate up to 
above what I was getting before. I'm saying I'm leaving there for a reason. And what I'm and telling I want, you, I want is, more than the starting amount because I'm better than a brand new agent who's never closed a deal. I've closed deals before. I know the market. I know what I'm doing. So exactly. instead of six, instead of the sixty-five that I was getting before, I want sixty to start out, and let's revisit and see if I can get back up to the sixty-five or seventy at some point. Once I show you that I can really close deals and knock out knock out apartments for it. Yeah, exactly. No, I understand completely what you're saying. What I, what I'm just saying is, if I if I'm too quick to hit your number, you may ask for more. And I see that happen all the time. I see agents go into negotiations and because they're afraid to ask for what we typically ask for, which is 15%, they'll start with a month because they think somebody's going to say easily a month. And when we go a month, that person says, no, I want to know if the apartment or I'll give you $500. Well, now we're starting to touch on one of my other points, which is negotiating with yourself. Well, do you mean negotiating with yourself like, questioning what you're willing to take after deciding what you were willing to take. Yes. Yeah. And that's why I said, I, I like that one a lot because people get so I'm looking at houses right now and thinking like how far away I, I would move, what area I would move and how much I would spend and looking at apartments before I've set guidelines for what I want to spend and end up, it's a slippery slope because you go up 500 bucks a month and you see what you can get. And then it's not quite the ideal or it introduces a new ideal. Now I have to have a doorman or now I have to have in unit laundry. And then you start looking even harder and you've already negotiated up your standards. Yeah. Which is why also like one of the other points I had is have the three numbers in your head of what are you going to ask for? Like what's your dream? what is what you actually want and what's your walk away and so if you have those three numbers set in your mind ahead of time then it's a lot easier to avoid negotiating with yourself because you can say i wasn't willing to pay more than four thousand a month for this apartment and so if they come back at 4200 and you say look i can't do 4200 i can do four thousand and they say that 4200 is the deal, then you walk away because you said 4000 was my max. I will walk away. Exactly. So you might open with, I want to do 3200 with, with, If your goal is 3600 and your max that you're willing to settle for is 4000 then when they offer, you say, I'm looking to spend about 3200 on this place. And they say, well, well, we can't do that. Let's, let's just touch real quick on your second point was negotiate and don't beg. Because... Oh, yeah. At that, at a certain point, you may have your heart set on something, and uh, begging is basically you throwing your negotiation out the window. Yep. Sometimes piece by piece, so it's throwing your standard, your low number, your walk number out the window. Sometimes piece by piece, or your walk criteria out the window piece by piece, and you're just backtracking. And you're going to end up resenting that decision after you've made it, which is why you have to put next point that you just segued into. You need your three numbers, the start number, which is typically the high number, mm -hmm. your want number, which is what you, what you ideally want, even though you're what starting. What you more realistically expect. You've got a dream. Your, your like, if, they start, if I say I'm willing to do 3,200 a month on this apartment and they say done, you're like, all right, cool. But that, that's not the number that you're realistically expecting to happen. That's your open. 
And then your walk number is the absolute, you're, you're at the door. Yep. And I, I will say I'm guilty of, in the moment, you know, negotiating with myself, which is also your next, you, you know, your next point, which I think that two, two, three, and four really are tied together. Negotiate on a bag, negotiate on a bag, have your numbers, your start number, your ideal number, your walk number, and then don't negotiate with yourself. And I'm really, I have a difficult time with that because I don't even negotiate when I'm, I'm on the consumer end. But on my end, I always work off of that emotion level. I get people to bend logic because of emotion. And at the end of the day, I think if you, if you get what you want emotionally, you can self-justify the logic. Well, and that's, that's why if you have the numbers set, because emotion will be a killer to negotiation. And that's what good salesmen are able to exploit, is yeah. the emotional appeal that has no monetary value, but they can extract a monetary value for themselves from it. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this. It's part of the thing. But, but if you want to negotiate, then you've got to know that that's going to be part of it. And having your numbers set in stone allows you to say, as much as I love this car, it's $3,000 more than I'm willing to spend. I tell people all the time in negotiating, okay, I understand what you want. I can't do that. You know, good luck. I'm happy to find you something. And usually it's a price point. You know, somebody says, I want a one one bedroom for $2,500 uh, in Hell's Kitchen. And I'm like, well, I showed you five of them. You know, we, we originally had a pool of 10. You sent me three or four by email. We went over those, they don't work for you. And you either need to move into the Upper West Side or Harlem, where the price point's a little lower, or you need to spend more money, or uh, you, gotta, you gotta decide on what, you, what I showed you. Yeah. We've, we, you know, we, we're, we're looking at all the logical factors and, uh, and a lot of times people are say, you know, uh, you know, I'm not sure I want to keep looking. I said, not, not a problem. I'd love, I'd love to keep showing you apartments. Like, you love the one I showed you. And that was 2,700, 200 bucks over your budget. Now I know we're not going to be able to find anything that's like that. So let's just put that one aside. We've agreed that we're not going to find anything that fits your criteria. Exactly. So where do you want to go? Do you want to look at smaller apartments or do you want to go to a cheaper neighborhood? And I just pivot on the two options that we have, you know, and a lot of people are going to say, no, 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 you, I, but I like that apartment. I only want to be there. Okay. Then you have to spend more money, which you said you don't want to do. Right. And so that's, I, I, that's not really one of my tips or secrets for negotiating. That's just kind of part of the process of you need to be able to feel out what the other party has available and actually wants and what they can lay out. Well, yeah, and we're on a post. What you're doing there is just trying to figure out what is the important aspects to, to your potential client. And is it price? Is it location? Is it quality apartment? What are they flexible on and what are they firm on? And then use the firm part as the pivot. But sure. We're actually giving conflicting advice because you're giving advice as a consumer and I'm giving advice as the, as the salesperson, basically. No, no, because the thing is, this this advice works for either side. Some of it does. Some of it does go. Some of it definitely goes both ways. Some of it definitely goes both ways. Um, but But what you're saying right now is your your fifth point: identify their wants. Know what the other person's know what the other person's starting number. Know what they they think is obnoxious and they're going to shoot for it. Know what they ideally want, 
and know what they're going to walk on. Well, it's really hard to know that because they're not going to tell you. No, but, you're going to be able to sense it. If you're good at reading that person. And right. that's why what I just said when I'm negotiating as the salesperson, I'm like, I understand that's what you want, but I know, you know, if you can't do this because it's not perfect for what you're looking for, let's throw it away. Yeah. So if, if, I'm, I, I if, I'm, the, the if I'm the apartment buyer, then I'm trying, then you got to figure out what's my walk away. Is it the location that I'm dead set on and I'm flexible on the price? Is it the price that I'm dead set on or do I need certain amenities or is it some combination there? Because then you can figure out what they're firm on and what they're going to walk away from. Mm -hmm. And then also like if I'm also the apartment buyer and like me knowing you, knowing that you're, you're a broker and you make a commission based on the rent or whatever, then like what I'm going to probably try and figure out is, how flexible are you going to be on the fee? And if I say, look, if we can make this apartment happen at this price, we get the 15% or like, I can say, look, that, that apartment's a little bit more out of my range. So I'll pay you, I'll pay you the commission based on the 2,500 a month that I had in my budget. I'll Perfect. pay the rent to the landlord, but I'll say, I'll pay the commission based on what my original budget was. That's so I, I that 15%, you get 11 or 12. All so that's how I do that all the time, but it's coming to a meeting and I'm the first one to bend the numbers. I want to bend the numbers. I don't want to go back out and show more apartments because typically the apartments that the options that I choose right off the bat are usually the best options. So it's actually going to be a more difficult sell showing uh, other options, showing additional options. So I, well, I, you know, but that's, that's why like, understanding where the other party is coming from because as a buyer i know that you primarily are concerned with you want to get an apartment sold as quickly as possible and you want your 15 percent. so if i can find if i can find a way of satisfying one or both of those things for you then i can get you to work on the things that i care about. all right so explain this to me what negotiating in bad faith is basically that's when you go into a negotiation making unreasonable demands where you have to come in and make it seem like you actually want a deal and you're not there to waste somebody's time. If I walk into a Porsche dealership and see a brand new 911 that's listing at 100,000 and I, and I walk up to the salesman like, I'll give you 35 for it. They're going to tell me to just leave me alone. I get that all the time and that drives right. so, me nuts. Now you don't want to work with that person. No, because they start that's what a lot of people don't understand when it comes to landlords. And we have a I, right now I have a twenty-seven fifty apartment. The girl wants to offer like twenty-five, and I'm saying he's not gonna, he's not gonna. He'll he would rather hold your application on the, the back of his desk for two weeks and see what else comes along. When you're not gonna get an answer right away. If you do, it's a no, and it's probably a no. Fuck you. Or if they're not, you're not gonna get an answer. And right now. I actually have that happening. I have somebody that's got like a 590 credit score and they applied in this apartment and because the laws changed, they can't offer an extra month of security and they're, uh, the landlord hasn't answered me. And the reason he hasn't answered me is because he's waiting for other applications to come in. Yeah. But the don't negotiate in bad faith is really just, you need to treat, you need to treat the other person with respect. And if you go in with an unreasonable offer in, either direction then then they're not going to even want to engage with you if yeah, you're exactly. applying for a job and the job description says 
sixty thousand, and you go in asking for a hundred, there it doesn't matter how good you are, you're not going to get the job because you made an unreasonable offer. Right? Yeah, that's unre Yeah, but I, I, I agree with the, kind of the sentiment in in that bullet point. Um, it's I just I think that's solid advice. Just you know, just be reasonable. Don't be a dick. And if you know if somebody meets what you're asking, you commit. And I work when I negotiate. Um, when I tell agents to negotiate, I tell them to get the agreement first. So say we're dealing with a forty-eight hundred dollar apartment, and they want it for forty-six, or let's say they take it at, at forty-eight, but they don't want to pay a fee. And we were, you know, we already negotiated down to uh, $7,500 fee. I will explain to the agent before you come to me and ask me if I can do 6,800 on the fee. So you, you, so you would say your client, the, the client agent conversation would be, I'm, you know, let me see if I can get you a lower rate. And they come to me and they go, can you do 68? I'm like, ask them if they can do 68. Yes. And the agent goes back to the client and says, he said he can do 68. What do you think? That's the wrong way to phrase it. I said, well, what I would do is I would tell the agent, ask your client, if I can get 68, does that work for you? And then they come to me with a confirmed agreement at 68. So, if so I, the way if I look I at it is like, up, they've already negotiated. If, 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 the if the client has already said 68, then if I'm the agent and I come to you and say, hey, man, can we do 68 instead of 75 or whatever, I'm going to go back to the client and say, 6,800 is the deal. We can have it done today. I'm not going to give them an option to think about it. I'm going to say, look, this is where we're at. 60, like, we agreed to 68. Here's the paperwork. Yeah, but that, that needs to be agreed to by the client. But if the, if the, if the 6,800 number is what the client gave me, and you gave me the approval. I'm not going to ask them. Of, know, but, I'm not going to give them a chance to reconsider. Well, here's what happens: though. a lot of times, a client won't give a number, and 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 that's you know a lot of times you just you know we're talking about moving. It's not something people do on a regular basis. We're not you know we're not negotiating a Gatorade in the park. We're not negotiating you know things that right. are typically negotiated. So if the client won't give a number, then you like I would I would force the client to give a number. I'd say that. Yeah, a forty-eight hundred dollar a month apartment comes to fifty-seven six hundred. Fifteen percent of that is eighty-six forty, and you throw out the number and say, "This is that's your lead out. Your open is eighty-six hundred." You say, "Here's our fee, eighty-six hundred. They push back and they say, "We don't want to pay that." And then, and then you, you say, say, "What works?" Right. Well, you uh, you get that number from the opposing party first. Of course, yeah. And that's now they have to say something. Now they have to put out a number, and maybe they say seventy-five hundred. You would have been willing to take 68, but if they say 7,500, right. So you force them to put themselves in a position. But if you say 8,600 and they come back and they say, we were thinking more like 5,000, you say, that's a little too low for the work that's going into this apartment and all the things that we need to make to work. So you have, but now you've got 86 versus 5,000 and you can say, okay, there's some work, there's room that we can work here. And then yeah. the 68 ends up being right about in the middle. But if they come back and say, oh, I wasn't looking to spend more than like 2,000 bucks at the broker fee or whatever. And that's out the door. Right. The door. Exactly. Said, We're not even close. We're at 86. If you can't find, if you can't get closer to that, then I wish you the best of luck. And I, and I, 
and I hope that you're able to find another broker in lower Manhattan that's willing to work for you. Uh, that but, that's, but that's, I was thinking about this also when we started talking. If you go to your garage and you, you negotiate down the labor cost to next to nothing, that garage is not going to be, if they're a really good garage and they do solid work, they're not going to be in business very long. So people, you know, people, salespeople can't just go super low for the sake of closing the deal and move on to the next because that's how they actually make money. Right. You know, a, a, a garage makes money off of fucking labor. Real estate agency makes money off of broker fees. It's not like, and I say this all the time, not like we sell sneakers out of the back of the office. We work on broker fees. And if you want our good service, you want our good customer service, you want our knowledgeable agents, I can't have them quitting after two months of doing this. They need to be compensated to bring up the value of, of agents in the city. I want, I want good, you know, if I'm looking for an apartment, I'm no longer a broker. I'm willing to pay if it's getting me good service. You know, I could go with a, with a $500 person from fucking Craigslist to move my apartment, but I would rather spend 2,500 bucks for somebody who's going to pack things up and move it and they're insured and they're people that aren't going to steal my shit. You know, and, and I think that it's, it's, it's worth paying more for a solid service. And I get it. There's a lot of, I mean, me growing up, especially where we grew up, it's like you negotiate down to the fucking bare bones. You buy used and you buy broken and you fix, repair, and refurbish. I've lived in Manhattan long enough. I know you buy new and you buy new with white glove delivery. But that's a new, that's a, that's a Manhattan thing where I grew up. It's you buy used and typically you buy used and broken versus yeah. buying new and new with white glove delivery. Now in Manhattan, people are willing to pay for the white glove delivery. And I understand and respect that. And I, I understand my clients when I worked for a rental car company and I was getting people that were being flown to the city to give a talk and earn six figures for the talk. And I'm negotiating fucking car insurance with them or paying for a GPS. I just am like, you got this, 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 and this. Does that work for you? Okay, perfect. Sign here. Versus I could sell you this for $6 extra a day. I could sell you this for $14 extra a day. I could sell you this, the, the gasoline package for $60 extra. For, I, I, I change my negotiating tactics based on that person. So knowing who you're... Knowing who you're dealing with should also be another bullet point, I think. Which I well, think that kind of that kind of number one. one. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, knowing who you're dealing with when it comes to negotiating, and that that the, I was always when it came to the rental car business, which I yeah, it's bullshit when it comes to being a great business person, probably. But you learn transactionally. I had so many fucking transactions. I got to learn really, really fast, and. Uh, I learned really fast to identify who you're dealing with. Do your best to identify who you're dealing with, which obviously is profiling, and shape your negotiation after that. But the person that comes in with a brand new pair of leather shoes that don't look like they're you know forty dollars shoes that look like they're solid leather shoes, like that person's probably got a little bit more money, or in some cases is going to be the cheapest bastard you deal with. Yeah, but yeah, well, and that's where you you kind of. You, you have to tailor your negotiation and everything based on what the other party's giving you too. Like it's, you can't, you can't be pig headed in your approach where if you're locked in solely on the numbers or whatever, obviously you walk away, but you have to kind of figure out, and we've been talking about this a lot, feel out what the other party wants and 
go from what they're giving you. I, I agree. So look, well, I got a few people online right now. I want to ask if, uh, because we, you know, we're live on TikTok, we're live on Facebook, we're live on Instagram right now. Um, I'm curious if anybody has any negotiating tactics, whether it's from TikTok or Facebook or Instagram, anybody who, who wants to add any, or, or actually, uh, I'm curious about some experiences negotiating because I think, uh, I think that, you know, probably I've gotten some crazy deals. You, you know, uh, James, our friend Scott gets like crazy deals on Craigslist buying restoration hardware furniture or different sports cars a, a great, a, across the greater Northeast. Uh, you know, if I needed to buy something on Craigslist, you know, significant value, I would go to him first. And yeah. that, you know, that goes from somebody with three, two Porsches and a, a Audi sitting in his living room. In his, his, uh, his living room? His, well, <laughs> On the third floor? In his, in his garage. And, uh, um, you know, he's living in a three, three floor townhouse, uh, which is pretty cool. But he just got, he just, he, he, he told me to come in his house over the weekend. He's like, oh, yeah, I got, uh, just got this uh, air hockey table, which, you know, we, lo- we love air hockey. Yeah. Um, no, and then we're in like third grade. Exactly. So he just got an air hockey table and uh, he got some new furniture and a new chandelier. You know, he, he, you know he'll get a, a $4,500 chandelier for 200 bucks on Craigslist. Well, and that's because you have to know what you're looking for. And you know what you're looking for also. Yeah, you, you got to time it. You got to time it. Right. But yeah, I'm curious if, if anybody's got any stories about, uh, about a great deal you've gotten or negotiating tips. Uh, I got a handful of real estate agents that are watching us right now. So um, we're real estate enthusiasts. Yeah. Well, see, the, the last one that we haven't really talked too much about is the uh, use silence to your advantage. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So the thing about the thing about being silent. Oh, somebody said hi from uh, Lower East Side. That's pretty cool. Um, using silence is it's in all the training that I write for this company. Um, the ability to use silence to your advantage is is insane in every aspect of your life. Even if it's just when you meet somebody, just pausing, smiling making eye contact or not making eye contact, not smiling and just waiting. And, and typically, especially person to person, when you're in person, people get really uncomfortable when you're silent, you don't say anything. I, I think oftentimes interchanges between people is just a compensation, people compensating for being uncomfortable and compensating for the other person being uncomfortable. You don't want to make somebody else uncomfortable. So you say something so they don't feel uncomfortable. You don't want to be uncomfortable. So you say something so that you don't feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And, and you, you pretty much nailed it. Where in a negotiation, if you can just shut up for a second, then the other party is going to have to start thinking and they'll get uncomfortable and they might spit out something that gives away the negotiation. Do, do me a favor. Just jump a little closer to the mic because it's, it's tough. It's tough to hear you for, uh, through, uh, uh, okay. I don't know where you might move. All right. Like right here, but it, all right, I'll repeat what I said. Yeah, please. It, in, in the middle of the negotiation or whatever, if you can just shut up and let the other party have to think about what's going on and make them get a little uncomfortable, they might end up spouting something off to break the tension 
that ends up giving away their position, and now you've got a different angle on the negotiation. Yeah, well, that's that's because people will backtrack. Yep. And again, it's about it's about them not knowing what's going on in your mind, and it's just a certain dynamic between people. <laughs> and oddly, you know, I teach this dynamic uh, body language negotiating. It's actually, it's actually in our handbook. Uh, I don't. Did you ever see our handbook, James? Don't think so. You got an eighty-page sales handbook, which talks about literally like so many different aspects of this. I'm redoing it. It's probably going to be over a hundred pages of just kind of bullshit. Like if if you're into it, it'll be cool. If you're not into it, you're just going to put it down. But think about this. And, and, and when I give the training, I grab people in person and I explain to them body language and dynamic. And this is really cool because I can demonstrate, especially when I got a group of five or six girls and guys. What I'll do is I'll say, I want to explain to you guys body language. I have a girl stand up, stands up. I walk over to her. I stand in front of her for two or three seconds, an extended amount of time. We're roughly two feet apart, which is not, not that close, okay? And I say, thank you for that, but really I think a guy is better. Um, let me go to a different guy. And she doesn't feel comfortable. You know, I, I realize it more cast this back down, grab the guy, and then I go about two feet chest to chest with the guy. And I say, do you feel comfortable right now? And he says, no. And then I turn to the girl and I said, at any point did you feel uncomfortable? And she says, no. I'm sorry, this, I, as a guy, you feel comfortable. Guy is very uncomfortable. Did I, did I say that right? The, the girl was comfortable, the guy was not. The guy, yeah, do you feel comfortable? No. And then I turn to the girl, fuck, sorry. Maybe it's a sketch. Yeah. Uh, I turn to the girl, at any point, did you feel uncomfortable? And she says, no. So the thing is, when you negotiate with a woman, man, man to woman, this is from a man's point of view, obviously, you can face a woman shoulder to shoulder, chest to chest, uh, roughly two feet. I think anything closer than two feet is a bit uncomfortable. And two I feet, say even two feet, two feet is really like right on the line. But you can be chest to chest, shoulder to shoulder. Whereas when you, you yes, when you're negotiating with a guy, you need to be about thirty degrees off. And yeah, it's I really like weird. Two o'clock rule. It's really, it's, it's crazy because I give that training. It's been a little while since I've given the training. I've been doing Zoom trainings lately, so it's tougher to do by Zoom, obviously, because I can't use yeah. that example. And, and it's, it's tough to talk about the example and not demonstrate it, because when I demonstrate it, people are like, holy shit. Like, that's fully accurate. Um, but you can't, you can't really, it's, I don't, I mean, you can't do it on Zoom unless there's people in the room. But it's, it's really true, and it's funny, because I'm thinking about it now, because I had a guy yesterday in the office, and uh, he, was, he was trying to tell me something. And I kept turning, and he kept moving back in front of me, and then I turned the other way, and he moved back in front of me. And I know probably in his mind he was doing it, because Justin gets his right really easy. Obviously, there's a thousand people walking up to me any moment trying to ask me questions throughout the day. So if it looks like my attention is directed, my body language is directed somewhere else, um, but I think man-to-man, -man, it's really maybe a threat. It's a threat issue. I don't know. Well, I think, I actually think that this applies more equally to men and women than, you, than you're giving credit for. Because I, I've, I've tried this out um, where 
even if you're talking to a, a female as a male, and if you're 12 o'clock with her, it can feel more intense and more confrontational, even if it's not, even if it's just a conversation. But I think but it feels if you, more confrontational. you just break off the angle slightly and go, instead of approaching at 12 o'clock, approach at 2. You're a guy. That's why. You're, that's your perspective. That's not her perspective. That's what it is. You feel uncomfortable shoulder to shoulder, and guys do, because it's confrontation. Women, women just physiologically must deal with discomfort. You know, in, in, they, they must deal with confrontation in body language a little, a little more differently. I wonder what uh, the cause of that is. I'm not right, saying so, you're wrong. So somebody asked a question. What do you do on a, on a date when a guy is mirroring too much? Well, I don't know about being on a date where a guy is mirroring too much. Well, what happened on the last date you went on with a dude? Uh, probably didn't know it was a date. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, definitely never been on a date with a dude. Even in that situation, right? So mirroring too much, where like if if she sits up, then he sits up. If he if she leans back, he leans back. If she puts her hands on the table, so kind of I will I will say yeah, that's what they mean. But what I typically find is if you're aware of the dynamic, if you're aware of the comfortability level between you and the other person, this is really cool because I love playing with it. So say for example. You're at a two-top table, low-top. So that means like a, a, a table where you're sitting on chairs where your feet touch the ground. That's a low-top. And then two-top means it's a small table that fits two people. And there's two chairs. So if you're at a table and you're with somebody who's leaning back and you're leaning in, you're demonstrating interests. They're not quite. But a lot of times if that other person moves forward, you then move back. And it's really cool to be able to, especially if it's a, clo if it's a small table, you can watch people all night long. I mean, I'm in Manhattan, so I see this every fucking time I go out to eat. I love watching people when I go out to eat. And like, I can, I can, I can explain exactly who's into who, who's. Oh yeah, just, just by watching watch, the leaning. You, can you watch people lean forward and lean back and lean forward, or you watch people's body language. But when you're aware of it, you can really control it. Well, and. You know, you, we, you and I always talk about being on a spectrum, but I truly believe <laughs> both of us probably are. Oh, I, I don't I, think anybody walks into a place and thinks about their behavior. Uh, I, I tend to, but I think that's for reasons you just elucidated. Yeah, I, I, but that's, that's it. So, um, Well, let's answer her question, because I, I think, I, let me just throw one idea out there immediately. With, with you hear it like that? That's a fucking, like... Sorry, a sport. No, so her question is, what happens if you're if you're a female and you're out on a date with a guy and he's doing too much mirroring? So I think your yeah. question gives it away with too much. But I, I would say if he's mirroring you, then you obviously know he's interested. So you need to go and based, based on how you feel. Are you interested in him back or not? And if you're not, then you just cut it off. But if you are, then he's giving you the signals that he's interested. And then, I mean, respond accordingly. Either, like, if, if you're aware of this, then I guess start mirroring his stuff. Show interest in some other way. Or, or if he's giving so much mirroring, which people do naturally, but if you believe it's too much or you believe he's doing it on purpose, then you become disinterested. Mm -hmm. And if you're aware of it, I think you should just play with it. You know, just... Well, have fun with it, but I, some weird I don't know. Shit. Like, at at some, some point, you're just going to have to press eject, I guess. Yeah, I... I, 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 I <laughs> get the fuck out of here. 
Um, no, yeah, I, I, I definitely, um, I think if you are uncomfortable a lot in in-person interactions, then you, you, uh, there are some really good tips that I, that I have for you. Um, I don't know how to articulate them. It's not, it's not a regular talking point for me these days, but I would like to really, I'd like to actually really open up because dating is negotiating. Yeah. I, you know, I was thinking, I, you know, when I, I, it's funny cause I was watching a commercial last night for a new Netflix show where the guy leading the show was talking about meeting somebody who was starting, uh, go ahead. Was I watching a Netflix commercial last night? I forget it's watching, uh, talking to this woman who just wrote a book about online dating. She signed up for Tinder and she started to realize that Tinder had all of her data. Um, I, and they started talking about online dating, but I've done a little online dating before. I think you could probably count in over a decade how many online dates that I've been on. Um, but, but dating is definitely a strange thing. And when it comes to online, there's a lot more factors. Dating is not a natural thing. You know, you don't, you don't hang out with strangers every day. You don't try to find out if somebody likes you every day. You don't, you, you know, you don't dislike somebody who does like you and want to get away from them as soon as possible every day. So it's, it's very unique. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's fucking weird. It's definitely weird. But I, you know, I think I've never, you know, when I, when I do online dating, like I don't, I don't like to like flex that much. You understand what I'm saying? Yep. And I, I feel like a lot of my competition does a lot of flexing. And I don't, yeah, it's like, I, you know, I want to be like, hi, my name is Dave. I make a median income and I drive a Volvo. I also have a lab or a golden retriever. He has a generic golden retriever name. And just kind of oh. see, see where it goes from there. But I don't want somebody that's, you know, that's like, that's interested in, in, you know, something else. I also don't want like a crazy dog person either. Yeah, but, well, I, I, um, going on, like, touching back on her point about mirroring or whatever, is like, when, when I've had people ask me for advice on dating, not that I'm the best person to give it, but I've always kind of retreated back to the, the same formula, which is any successful interaction with someone that you're interested in in a dating capacity, follows the exact same formula, which is attraction, comfort, and close. Let's not go too deep into that for right now, but I think that would be a really good future topic. Uh, talking about dating, especially on, on, uh, on Sip Talk. I think a lot of dates are held over drinks. Um, but look, I'm just going to focus on the, the point that she's talking about mirroring is if like normally mirroring is it is a way for people to signal that they're comfortable with somebody else. But yeah, mirror, so mirroring. Sorry, I'm just repeating what you're saying some of these times because of the mic quality. But mirroring is a way of showing that you're comfortable with somebody else and making them feel comfortable as well. Right. 
And so if she's picking up on the fact that this is happening or whatever, then it's being forced and then she's not actually comfortable. I, I agree. I think if you're aware that the other person is mirroring, unless you're looking for it, unless you're looking for it directly, if you're aware that somebody else is mirroring, it's probably forced or it, it's too much or the person is a little off. And they, they, may, too, but yeah, they may not know it. Whatever the case is, if you're noticing something and you weren't actively looking for it, then it's generally a bad sign. I use, it's funny because I use dating a lot when it comes to training real estate agents because I think for them, although I've been like in the last year, 18 months maybe or so, I've been really careful talking about it because like, I don't know, things are changing. I don't think dating is like a taboo subject. Uh, but fucking everything's taboo. So the one thing, one cool thing about being the owner of a company is like, you kind of set the tone for the atmosphere. Also, people here are independent contractors, so um, like you can have a drink in the middle of the day. You can say fuck, and like you're not gonna get fired. Does that make sense? Unless you're around a client, because they're still representing the company. Well, uh, yes, true, 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 but. I mean, that's kind of where the company is. I don't care if somebody uses a bad word, unless they're being mean to somebody or, or, or you know, or they, the, the, the client is a bit prudish and not open to swear words. Um, oh shit, we just, uh, uh, we just, uh, I don't know, one of the lives went away, so that's not cool. Um, we're gonna share it and it is, uh, it is live, so. Where's this strip talk? 25. So yeah, we're, we're hitting the kind of end of where I want to be. Yeah, I think we've covered our bases for sure. But yeah, well, I, I'd like to talk a little bit about how I relate dating to dealing with clients and, and dating to advertising, because especially when it comes to online dating, which I feel like almost everybody is familiar with these days. Um, you know, everybody, it's not everybody. I don't, I don't think you do much of that. But Online dating in 2020 is a really regular thing. When I was doing it back in 2012 or 2011, it wasn't necessarily a... No, there's been a big shift in terms of its cultural acceptance. Yeah, I, I mean, it's just everybody's online now. Back in 2011 and 12, um, you know, that, it, was a, it was definitely a bit different. It wasn't super outside the norm, but it not was, back then. But it was it was becoming the norm. Yeah, but it was still like if if you were going out on an online date in 2011, people would probably be like, "Wait, we can't just go out and meet people otherwise." Whereas now, you're like, "Yeah, of course." Like, yeah, you met her on Bumble or Tinder or wherever. Like, it, it, it's it's so much more expected now. What's that online dating? Yeah. Yeah. yeah well. But so what I, what I relate online dating to though is advertising. I talk about ads and I also talk about like initial interchanges. Somebody says some shit to you that's weird. There's fucking 40,000 other options, especially in this city. So, you know, why? So that's why you really got to pinpoint like a good opening phrase, especially when, you know, when you're dealing with a client. Um, you just, you have to understand what the opposing party what for real, us real estate agents need to understand is what our consumer is expecting and looking for. It's the same you know, thing on a date. What are they same expecting? Thing, you know, if, if you're on an online dating site and you're not off of the site relatively quick, unless you're there just to get laid left, right, and center, 
you know, if you're looking for a relationship and you're not finding luck, like let's reverse engineer this and figure out where the fuck you're fucking up. And same thing when it goes for advertising listings. If you're not getting lots of leads, like let's figure this out. Or if you are getting lots of leads, but you're not closing a lot of deals, let's figure this out. You know, uh, uh, somebody just said I had to relearn dating. Um, I joined match and this man didn't have an arm. I, don't think I would date a girl with an arm. I think that's, uh, arm is that not a deal breaker. I don't think it is. I, you know, the leg thing, yeah, the reproductive parts, that's the important part really. And the personality. Um, but I just think like if I lost a leg or lost an arm, like I wouldn't change that much. So when I think about somebody who has lost a leg or an arm, like, you know, their, their core personality hasn't changed that much. And if you look good in a bathing suit, yeah, you know, if you lost a leg, you could finally hit that target weight. If I lost a leg, I could hit that target weight. You are correct. <laughs> oh my God. I tell you, did I tell you I went for a run last week? How'd that go? Okay. It went, it went okay. I just did two miles. So my slowest pace ever was a jog. I was trying to stay on my toes, the balls of my feet the whole time. Uh, and then I got a fucking blister on my left foot. Because you had uh, run for like three months. Because I haven't fucking run. I, I, I have like baby's feet. So, uh, so yeah, you know, I, uh, it was, it was a bad run, but it, it went, it went all right. It wasn't fast. I walked, you know, I did, I did two miles and then I just, you know, I, I, I like to do uh, along the water. So I run from the apartment down to the Hudson river up, up a mile or so on the Hudson river, yeah. a little over a mile. And then I, I run a, uh, about three quarter mile back. And then I walk, once I come kind of come back up on the city streets, I walk to the apartment. So it's it's two miles flat, and uh, my foot fell all right. But then that day and afterwards, I was just fucking hobbling, and it was not, it was not a. So fun. the same injury came back. Yeah, I mean, but now I'm thinking like it wasn't that 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 bad. I mean, I was hobbling, and I couldn't put any weight on it. But well, then, all right. I'm thinking like it's not that bad. That goes away after three or four days. Like today, I can kind of go heel toe. So um, maybe just go to a doctor and get some orthotics. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna. I, you know, if anybody's got a good podiatrist, let me know. Uh, all right. So we got some dating, some TikTok uh, dating conversation going on here. Oh, that that really sparked the fire. What are What are the people's want to know? Oh boy. Okay. I joined once. I'm in a man Somebody, I had to relearn dating. Oh my God, I dated a guy with no arm and he got stuck in my SUV. Oh boy, he got stuck in the door? That's not good. What? How? Um, I don't know. I don't know. We couldn't open it. Maybe child locks. Um, you get one arm. Like the handles only require one. All right. So that's a good question. You're on a date. Let's just touch on this. Okay. So you're on an app. Your profile pictures are like your bust. Okay. You don't have an arm. What's your obligation to tell somebody before the first day you don't have an arm? That's a good uh, one, I think. My argument is no obligation. You, so you gotta wait, wait, get to meet that person in person, and yeah. then you, and then they discover you don't have an arm. Yeah. So you've duped them. You've already lied to them. I would. Well, relationships all, are based on trust, James. Come on. I would try and make it so that my profile pictures don't hide it. I wouldn't like take a picture of just the stub, but at the same time, like, most of your pictures would be 
sideways. Like that person with a lazy eye who's got sunglasses on and everything. Oh, lazy eye. I, come on, that just means that they're good at multitasking. I like a good lazy eye, yeah. Um, I, I say, like, that you're, first of all, your profile pics should more or less accurately depict what you actually look like. So, I I agree. I agree. So if you if you're missing an arm, then maybe instead of having a profile pic that cuts you off here, maybe have it so that like it cuts off here, so they can but, see. But, but are you displaying your missing arm? No, you're not displaying. You're not like just showing a picture of just the arm, but you're showing a picture from like your torso up. So, so we're gonna call see. missing arm a negative. No, I'm not saying it's a negative or a positive, but it's something well, that maybe it's a deal breaker to somebody. I don't know. Why not just display who you are? It's a superficial dating app where there's 40,000 other options. Missing arms are negative. More likely than not. More likely than not. When you're in an apartment on a six-story walk-up, six-floor walk-up, more likely than not, the five flights up to get to that sixth floor is a negative. Oh, yeah. Oh, so, but just take take accurate pictures of yourself, and then when you show up to the first date, you won't have any explaining to do. Mr. Rob forty three, a good place to look would be with me. Send me a message. But you you are correct. You, you're not going to have any explaining to do. But you're going to get less dates, and your pool is going to be you have a more shallow pool of people to, to call on for first dates. Yeah, but you know what? Like, if you take accurate pictures, then you're already qualified in your dating pool. You're, you're going to go no, but, but less dates, metrics, but more fruitful dates. Based off the metrics, you're really limiting your pool. So you might have somebody who, you know, you're, you, you, you've got 70% of people turn away from you. And they match you up with women who 70% of guys turn away from. Because that's how the metrics work. That's how. Mm, um, no, that's not how it works. Well, that's what this book was on this Netflix show. show how basically exactly what that was no it depends on which which sites you're on but i also feel, yeah somebody just made a comment somebody just made a comment it depends on how that person feels who doesn't have an arm and you know like i said if i didn't have an arm i wouldn't define me i would still be me without an arm unless i wanted it to define me and like it became a thing and now i started giving like fucking ted talks on being one arm yeah but still i would say Take accurate pictures and you don't have to explain yourself. And you know, I wouldn't advertise anything. I would just let people make their decisions. And that way, when I go on that first date or whatever, I don't have to, like, I already know that, like, that's not something that I'm going to have to overcome. That's not an objection that I'm going to have to meet. How about herpes? I don't know. Um, that's yeah, my biggest probably, you thing. Should, you, you know what? Yeah, I think you got you to gotta disclose that. Before it becomes relevant. Before it becomes relevant. I don't know that much about herpes, but um, I actually know nothing about herpes. But if you have herpes, you probably know more than me. But you wouldn't throw that in your dating profile. No, you're not going to put it in your dating profile, but it, it's something that needs to be disclosed before risks are taken. True. True, true, true. Before risks are taken. Before it becomes relevant. First substantive of contact. Yeah. Um, I love that, that this TikTok conversation is going on about dating and somebody with no arm and herpes and somebody's looking for an apartment. Um, 
That's exciting. So uh, anything else you want to talk about negotiating? No, I, 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 we, we really covered all the things. I know. I feel that we did a really good job rounding out negotiating. We didn't get too deep into tactics. But I think if you're an intelligent person, you can derive some tactics from from kind of the outline we gave you or the factors that are involved with actually having an upper hand and, and negotiating well. Well, if you take the stuff that we talked about, it'll kind of naturally lead you into the appropriate tactics. Yeah, I, I, I think you, you don't have to even employ tactics if you're just doing things, you know. If you follow these rules, yeah, you don't really need to use tactics because well, you know, you're not gonna get taken advantage of because you know what your walk away point is. You're not gonna negotiate against yourself because you know where you stand on all figures. You understand the market because you did the research. You know where the other person's coming from because you put yourself in their shoes. You're not negotiating in bad faith, so that way they're gonna take you seriously. And yeah, I agree. Yeah, no, we're on the same page. So any uh, anything you wanna plug? No, not really. Had a good day in the stock market today, though. Yeah, there was some movement on the stock market today. Speaking of which, I went up eight uh, percent on the day. And where do you where do you trade on? Do you, any anything I got to throw in the comments here for you? Well, uh, the main platform that I'm on is a competitor to your favorite, so I'm not going to plug it. All right. Well, if you you hit me with that link, and we're going to get them on as affiliate. Uh, but I but I use Weeble. I I'm up I I'm up about two fifty today, which is cool. Uh, you know, one of the agents here hooked me up, and he, he gave me some some tips to buy some stocks. And uh, so far today, I'm up about two fifty, two forty nine when I checked. But it's with Weeble. I throw the link in the YouTube video, so if you're if you're watching, you can check my YouTube. Um, it's one of the links. You get two free stocks, up to fourteen hundred bucks, which I I lucked out with the stocks. Well, so, what are the two stocks you got? Dude, I don't know. I don't have any idea. I don't have any idea. I know. I, I know that I dropped a couple hundred bucks in there, and and I made I made a lot of money. So, um, so that's cool. I, I'm not even like I don't know anything about this stuff. So yeah, I was up like probably about somewhere between five and six hundred dollars today. The problem is like after hours, it's harder for me to be able to figure out what my actual what what my actual take is because so many of my positions are, are hedged with options. So the options prices don't update after hours, even though the stock prices do. So like I'll have a position which has like a corresponding credit against it on the option that decays over time. So like one of my positions was up a huge amount today and the option cut into those losses. And so then the stock backed off, but the option hasn't updated yet. So it's hard for me to tell exactly what I was up, but I'm a huge fan of options. Yeah, no, I, I, man, I just realized I got this this goopy beauty filter on me. That's not cool, man. Not, it's not a. This guy's work cut out for it. Yeah, no, it definitely, it definitely does. I don't have any wrinkles. My head, my head looks nice and smooth. I just realized I should. I don't know where they have uh, like normal uh, weathered, you know, got a lot of miles on it for the year type of filter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got the mood light going on. Too. That's an eighty. That's a, yeah, I know. Um, but cool. No, I appreciate you you uh, you taking part and. Uh,
Fuck, I didn't realize how dark it is here. No, uh, it's, it's been a dark day here in New York. It's, it's, it's kind of wild. You guys got a little lick of a uh, tropical storm, didn't you? Yeah, I did. It, so they were talking about tropical storm, winds. Uh, I didn't see shit. There were some people sending videos, people shit flying off the, flying off the buildings. We got rain for like an hour, an hour 15 last night. I slept with the windows open because I like wanted to watch some lightning and, and, and hear some thunder and shit. Nothing last night, just a little bit of thunder and lightning early on. And then uh, today we got some pretty hard rain. I opened the windows because like I wanted to hear it and like feel the severity. And uh, it was kind of quick to come and go. And sun's out now. I mean, sun's going down, obviously, but I mean, I can see blue skies. Yeah, we had it yesterday in Charleston, and it wasn't too bad at all. I've seen worse days for just normal thunderstorms pop in and out. Although after the tropical storm passed us, it happened right around sunset or whatever, mm. and the sun happened to drop below the level of the clouds and illuminated the bottom of the clouds, and it was that's, beautiful. That's, it looked like a painting. That is that is really cool. Are you getting any surfing in? I I would have loved to have gone this morning because um, the day after the storm, you like everything cleans up, but you still have the waves coming through and yeah. it looked like it would have been really nice, but you know, I had to work. Yeah. Tell me about it. I spent five minutes looking at the surf cam saying, man, I really, really should just go out there and make it up later on tonight. Yeah, well, go for it. Still uh, maybe, right? I don't know. It's, it's dark now and I have to be at work tomorrow too. And I was working from home today, so I could have gotten away with it, but man. you know, you bring your laptop down to the beach, you know, you hook on that bar Wi-Fi. Right, yeah. All right. A little late for that now, but I was disappointed. Every year, I hope for Charleston to get smacked with the strongest hurricane possible. And we've gotten a few decent ones, but nothing like what I've really wanted. Probably good for property value. Uh, but, I'm looking to buy property at some point, so I want a really solid hurricane. That was my point. Just to kind of right. knock things down a touch. On that note, because we're dicks, uh, <laughs> I gotta go. Um, we're hitting that. We're hitting that hour. It's moonlight hour here, so. Um, yeah, well, I feel like we we definitely nailed all our topics, and uh, I thought this uh, this one was solid. I finish. I entirely agree. So, thank you for joining. Thank you for joining. Thank you for joining, James. Thank you for joining. Until Thursday. Uh, I, I will yeah, I will catch up with you on the next episode. All right. See ya. Cheers. If you're watching this part, this is so cool you made it to the end. That's pretty badass. I appreciate you taking the time out of your day, out of your life to listen to this. Um, if you are interested in any of the promo stuff we have, check it out in the comments in the in the information below. And uh, please comment, like, subscribe to this this channel. Um, and that's it. Enjoy the rest of your day.